and gentlemen, welcome to episode 233 of the 1099. As always, I am your host, Joseph Noop, and today's guest I am so, so very honored to have. Uh, his music has been absolutely formative in my modern day taste. Uh, you know him as the nerd world's favorite hip-hop artist. I am honored to have Rahim Megaran Jarbo with me today. Rahim, how are you, man? Hey, good morning. I'm great, man. How are you? I'm good. It is it is a sunny President's Day, uh, which I did not realize was a holiday where people take the day off. So <laughs> I showed up to IGN this morning thinking like, all right, let's all right, what's on the docket today? Oh, nothing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I silver linings, I guess. And it's funny. I I just had uh, uh, one of my editors from PC Gamer also Slack message me. And I was like, why are you talking to me today? It's President's Day. No one else is here. But it's like, oh, you're in Europe, one of those uh, yeah. <laughs> one of those countries where they don't have President's Day, no. uh, the monarchy. My wife, is. Uh, she works at a bank. And uh, just recently, they decided that bank holidays are not bank holidays anymore. So what? because she works with online banking. So President's Day is now a work day for her, which sucks. Oh, is it? So it's like one of those things where since so much of banking is online, like what is a holiday to to the Internet? Right? Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, you know, today uh, I, I I reached out to you on Twitter to set up this podcast after you uh, made a, a call out. And I'm sure you got tons of responses and everything. And for a while now, having been a fan of yours since maybe the last six, seven years or so, uh, I've I've always wanted to dive into your background as a teacher rather than just a, a general uh, interview about you know your music career and I'm sure we'll touch on some of that stuff but uh, I figured you know Megaran's probably been interviewed about that a billion times so like let me at least try to make it a little interesting mm-hmm. and yeah just really get an idea for what kind of informs you as a musician and a creator uh with respect to you know your your educational upbringing and your career as a teacher and all that awesome. so uh, to start off with you you grew up in philly right and you actually went to uh philly's martin luther king uh, high school or middle school uh, high school yes yes oh there's some research here okay i um, went to wikipedia yeah. <laughs> well good enough uh so yeah i went to martin luther king high school which is in the northwest section of philadelphia not the worst part of town uh it was very close to the suburbs um and and a part of city called west oak lane is where i grew up where um i guess i was predominantly at least in the 70s and 80s when when i lived there um when i was like born and moved there with my mother uh it was a primarily middle-class African-American neighborhood. And um, over the years, it's gotten like, I guess a little bit worse, I could say, but uh, but yeah, it was a good good part of town. Not a lot of trouble. And uh, the school was, you know, public school is public school. So you deal with kids, you deal with peer pressure, you deal with all types of uh, elements that come into schools. But um, at the same time, I think those relationships I formed at, in high school really helped me because um, I had separate groups of friends. It was it was so interesting. I had like my, my my video game friends and my hip hop friends, you know, and very few times would that overlap, and uh, and I really thought that was interesting. And uh, it's almost like that now with me. Like I have maybe 
six friends that completely overlap in like musical tastes and video games and wrestling and comics, you know, but for the most part, I have a couple friends who like a few things here and there. You know, and it's funny you say that, too, because that's that's really why I was like, I'm not going to use the word nerdcore because I feel like being a, a like mix of a metalhead and I like hip hop and I I like a lot of instrumental stuff. I was like, there's way too many subgenres and we need to be a little less stingy about how we categorize things like that. So it, it doesn't shock me to hear that you only have like a few friends who like really meet all the the elements of the Venn diagram there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so w- tell me a little bit about, um, uh, for me, when I, I went to a very average high school of like maybe 800 students in uh, Mantino, Illinois. Mm-hmm. And uh, luckily enough there, we had a broadcasting class that like juniors and seniors could get into and like sometimes sophomores if you were like a, a wunderkind. And uh, that was where I learned a lot. We really just made like stupid, funny videos or what we thought were like, you know, funny videos, of course, at the time. Uh, But it really did teach me a lot about like making videos and project management and like coordinating with my friends and doing all that. Was there was there like a class or a teacher or somebody who you still think about like, man, that person, uh, if they could see me now, they probably like shed a little tear. Hmm. That's a really good question. Um, Mr. Fletcher was my oral communications teacher. And uh, man, he was just so helpful. And uh, of course, we all had to get up and give our talks, you know, for one minute, then three minute, then 10 minute speeches. And it was just so terrifying. And uh, I remember him just being patient with all of us. And, um, And I think he's the one who told me that everyone, no matter how different we think we are from each other, we're really not so different, you know. No one's super comfortable the first time they stand up in front of a bunch of people and talk or explain something that they're passionate about. And I had to give a speech on the death penalty, and I'll never forget it was just a really, really rough one because I was so nervous. I was like, Do I have my facts right? What's going on? And by the end of it, I wasn't able to make a, a stance like he wanted me to pick one side fully and and by the end i just couldn't and he's like well you didn't exactly follow what you know (laughs) the assignment was but i really appreciate that you're that much of a critical thinker that you thought it through on both sides and even by the end you couldn't necessarily decide you know so um he taught me it was okay to have an opinion you know that might be different from others and that our differences is what should be celebrated so uh i i thank mr fletcher a lot for for what he's done i I wish i i wish you could see me now you know now i'm i'm doing oral communication every single day of my life and it was a thing that i was completely you know scared and embarrassed to even attempt as a teenager so that was that was super helpful for me i uh, i i know that that speech class all too that fear all too well i uh for some strange reason they put me in the speech class, which was like a distinctly a senior level class when I was a freshman. And I don't think it was because I was actually like good at it. <laughs> I think it was like just an organizational fluke. So there I was, a very gawky, glasses wearing uh, kid amidst all these uh, people who were ancients compared to me, you know, I thought at the time. But uh, I think, I think, yeah, something like that teaches you really what the limits of your own critical thinking are uh, and how to kind of 
massage and exercise those limits and uh, just make sure that when you're having a real actual like on the line conversation about something tough like that, you can uh, you can hold your own. And uh, ever since then, my parents hated me for when I get into a debate. But oh, well. Uh, so you grew up there and you had those experiences and uh, were you were you one of those guys who knew you want what you wanted to do with your career like before you even graduated high school or was that something that you kind of had to uh, ruminate on for a little while um, I thought I knew I was pretty sure that I wanted to be a dentist <laughs> throughout wow throughout what? school yeah I, I was very confident and sure that I wanted to be a dentist. And it was because I grew up having like the coolest dentist around. Uh, Dr. Singh was so kind, so friendly. Uh, and I just like thought, you know, most kids hate the dentist. So I want to be the cool dentist and, you know, play some hip hop music in my office and, you know, and have cool magazines for kids to read. And yeah. I don't know, I was just so into it. And then I got to college and science classes in college became a real challenge for me. And uh, so it turned out that Penn State, where I went, didn't have a, a direct path toward dentistry. It was uh, more or less you had to go through a couple different paths to get to it. So I majored in what was called biobehavioral health. And then from there, I would have to go to grad school and seek out the dentistry path I wanted. And mm. it really became a bit more work than I thought I was ready for. And so I was like, yeah, I don't know about this. And maybe two semesters, maybe about a year in, I went into changing my major. And I remember having a really long conversation with my advisor. He's like, you're a great writer. Why aren't you, you know, doing something with writing? And I thought, well, what can you do with writing? And uh, he's like, what about journalism? And I was like, oh, okay, no. don't, don't, don't go down that dark path. So I was coming for your job and, <laughs> uh, and, um, he'd completely talked me out of it. He's like, well, what kind of journalism? And I was like, well, I like sports. I like games. I like music. And he's like, mm, there's no consistency in any of those fields. And, uh, good luck, you know, like for the most yeah. part, he's like sports journalists. They just find old football players to do that stuff. And the rest of them, like, yeah, good luck. And so I did journalism for maybe a semester. And then um, turned out with me taking so many writing classes and history classes, I was really close to an English major. And so I was like, okay, this is perfect. I'll be an English major. And uh, I still didn't really know what I wanted to do from there. I was just like, I'll figure it out later. You know, I don't know if I really had a plan until one day, one of my professors told me he thought I'd be a good educator. And uh, that kind of diverted my, my path and he got me to think about teaching in the inner city. And he's like, man, it's a perfect way to give back. And uh, you know, you have the talent and the comfort to, to speak and speak your mind and you're very convincing in these arguments. And, and I was like, all right, cool. So the Teach for America program is what I got into. And with that, they send you anywhere in the country to um, a low performing school and give you three, maybe three to four weeks of training and then throw you to the wolves and they're like, good luck. So that was basically what I did. And I wound up back in Philadelphia teaching middle school, not even a couple miles away from where I went to high school. 
So that was that was kind of effectively like student teaching, which is a really common thing, but like in a in a like low income kind of community of sorts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What tell like tell me more about that because I mean that's got to obviously be a, a fairly formative experience for you too. Is uh, that you said like a couple weeks, right? Yeah, we get about three three and a half weeks of like intense training over the summer, of basically learning how to be a teacher. So the things mm-hmm. that they give you in like when you're an education major, I'm sure. So this program was for non-education majors who wanted to teach, and maybe anybody could do it with a degree. And so they gave you this intense training course where you'd sit in with teachers, you'd learn, you'd give lesson plans, you'd have a mentor, and and then you just get let go to the wild. So it's like, all right, pick a school and we'll see if we can give you your choice. We probably won't. And good luck. <laughs> and that was it. And then first day of school, you're in there by yourself. And uh, man, it was rough. A lot of kids didn't make it, you know, literally kids. I mean, these we were coming straight out of college, you know? Yeah. And so it was tough going to high school where the kids are your size and look just like you. And, uh, but me, I did middle school, which was a little easier for me, even though I guess it's harder, but for me and what I wanted to get out of schooling, I think middle school was most effective for me because it is the place where you you probably have the most behavioral problems. And uh, I think back to my own middle school days, and that was the only time I was a behavioral problem is middle school. I think just, <laughs> and I, we, we started to look at all the different reasons, you know, you start to lose the parental uh, guidance, you know, 24 seven when you're They're around forming 12, their own 13. identities. Yeah. yeah. Parents are leaving you at home. Uh, you're walking to school yourself or catching a bus to school yourself. You get a lot more individuality. You're around your friends a lot more and you become almost the worst of your peer group and uh yeah you you're also forming your identity it's like kids that are adults that are also seven-year-olds you know it's a weird time and you want to be individuals but you also want guidance and protection uh but you don't know how to ask for it so it's a really really tough time for kids and so i thought that's where i'd be most effective and um they keep you on your toes i will tell you that and uh i honestly think i learned everything I needed to know about being a performer from teaching middle school, you know, because you literally perform for a group of 30 skeptical kids Mm. every single day. And you're up there just pulling rabbits out of hats and (laughs) doing (laughs) backflips in order to get these kids to pay attention. And, um, and that's, I think what made me a, a great performer. Just, uh, it, I, it's funny you say the, the, maybe they'll, they'll pick, they'll give you the pick of where you want to go. I was watching this boot camp documentary cause I was bored one day and it's they're showing all these young kids, you know, going through the six weeks or whatever of, of drilling. And they, they do allow you to like say, Oh, I want to go to San Diego or Korea or whatever. And of course a couple of kids get like Alabama or whatever. And the, the, the drill sergeant's like, good luck out there. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's so fascinating to hear that you kind of went through almost a, like an expedited program of sorts rather than like a, a more standard, uh, I guess, major system talking about like, yeah, the, learning so much from being a middle school teacher, like really helping you, uh, figure out how to be a performer on a stage. And like, yeah, I imagine like lassoing all those kids and keeping their attention and entertaining them, but giving them something meaningful, uh, do you yourself do like, did you ever think 
oh, I think I, I think I like really helped this kid out. Or do you think that any of your kids think back like, oh man, Mr. Mr. Rahim, uh, that's one teacher I'll never forget for one reason or another. I think so. I mean, I've had some experiences with kids where they've come to me not knowing how to read or hating reading. And then by the end of the school year, they're volunteering to read, uh, standing up in front of the class reading. You know, it's the most, I think it's the single most rewarding position that anyone can do, like as far as a job, because you can see in real time the effects of what you're doing and how it's helping a kid to be, you know, come out of their shell to become more of themselves. It's, um, it's super fun to see that, you know, and I've definitely run into some students later in life who have been like, Hey man, remember you used to do this rap club for us. And, uh, ever since then I've been listening to rap or, you know, ever since then I've been, you know, trying to write my own songs and things like that. A few of my students are rappers now, a few of my students, Occasionally, they'll message me on YouTube like, hey, man, you were my favorite teacher, you know, and um, that's really cool to see. You know, I didn't necessarily know if I was making that type of an impact because you don't you don't necessarily see it because you're there. And the kids mm-hmm. kind of by default think you're the enemy, you know, until you're not. And um, but, yeah, later on when they can step out of that and become more of themselves and say, hey, you really helped me to get here, you know, and I've had a lot of those talks with some of my students and. That's really, really special. Tell me, tell me about Rap Club. Is was that just a like for fun kind of project, or was that something where you like structured it in a way to give them something? Yeah, we would. We were starting to do after school activities, and um, one that I thought I would do was a uh, Rap Club because I knew a lot of my kids were into rap. So I was like, all right, everyone, either bring me a song or something that they're into. We'll like break it down structurally. We'll talk about it, uh, what makes it, you know, work, what makes the beat, what makes the lyrics, the rhythm, you know, things like that. And we would deconstruct songs together. And it was a really fun time, you know, and I I would maybe get about 15, 20 kids per session and they would all come out of it just so educated on, you know, the little nuances of music and um, understanding why they like something, which, which is so hard for like a preteen to come up with. It's like, I don't know. I just like it. It's good. You know? And <laughs> otherwise, you know, they, they're not forced to really critically break down why they enjoy something. So it was really fun to be able to do that with them. And I did it for, I think two, two different years. And uh, so the kids who came through, you know, all different ages really enjoyed it. And, uh, and like, like I said, a lot of them, you know, from then started writing their own, hip-hop songs and uh one kid that i i taught is in phoenix uh where i am now is like one of the top rappers in the city you know so that really makes me excited to know that uh i helped to kind of spark that inside of him that's that's so fascinating to hear man uh and like i as a kid yeah around that age i I was exactly the same way of thinking like well what i don't know what i want to do and for a long time like a lot of a lot of kids in my age and you know, demographic, I, I wanted to be like, oh, I want to make video games because I love video games. I love my PlayStation 2. I love my mm-hmm. GameCube. And I, I had a couple of like really diametrically opposed teachers, uh, Mr. Rewerts, who uh, I'm sure as an adult, I could hold a conversation with him. But as a kid, I, I despised his guts because he was the guy who said, you want to become a, a game developer? Well, you need to know math. And I was like, well, crap <laughs> I, I'm very bad at math and I kind of crushed that particular dream uh, but then I had in high school more of a 
a supportive teacher, even though we butted heads all the time. Julie Mead was my broadcast and one of my English class teachers. Uh, really, to this day, she still thinks I'm going to be making like movies here in Hollywood. Uh, and I don't know about that, but like I am, I am working in media in some way. So you got, you, you're right, Julie. You got proven right. <laughs> Uh, so you did you did all that how long you were you were a a teacher for how many years i did about six years so five and a half years and while i was uh doing my very diligent research uh, was it uh, and correct me if i'm wrong there was a period of time where that was special education right yes yes yeah was is that the like typical like special education uh, dealing with kids who are uh, just developmentally uh, different, or uh, was that something unique or what? Yeah, I've I've done special ed in two different settings. One in Philadelphia. The last job I had was at a specialty school, where we dealt with kids on varying levels of of developmental you know um, levels. We would have kids who, and they all lived on the campus. So some kids were nonverbal, some kids were, you know, behavioral issues. Um, so it was a it was an adventure. We would get about ten kids in a class, so it was a very small class with a teaching assistant <clears throat> or an aide, and um, and so we, each kid had a different set of goals that we had to work on. You know, so within the classroom we would do group activities, but also individual. Uh, like projects because they were all on different levels and had different goals they had to achieve. So it was a lot of fun, you know, like I said, kept me on my toes. I think dealing with with children at any level will always keep you on your toes. And um, later, once I moved to Phoenix, I took a special ed class, uh, took a special ed uh, teaching position that was me teaching eighth graders, seventh and eighth graders mixed who were um, in a special ed unit. So it was maybe... 15, 10 to 15 per class. Uh, I'd also have an assistant and we'd also have goals, IEPs, sheets and things that they would have to learn from. And um, it was it was always a good time, you know, and these kids and I, I like the fact that we had small classrooms because kids always felt like protected and special and they could always get the help that they needed. And uh, but the difficult part of special ed is we would have a meeting uh, every week, maybe on Tuesday after school for two hours. And and in these special ed meetings, we would talk about what was passed down from the state in the past you know, week or so. And it was usually someone telling us that all the things that we were doing were now becoming illegal, like things were changing. So they're like, what? all right, so on the fly, this is no longer required from the state or this thing that you do now you can't do that anymore. What so, what kinds of things like like making those things illegal? Like what kinds of things were you guys? So it'd be like the simplest like the discussions or the questions we asked to students okay. or their parents. Um, like you can't. Uh, one thing I remember is that you couldn't recommend testing for any student. Um, and I understood why because a parent could then one be offended by you asking that, and two attempt to sue you. Because you said that they needed testing to be in a certain classroom or level and things like that. So it was different things like that, like very small uh, suggestions and, and semantics that had to keep changing because we just weren't allowed to do certain things a certain way. And uh, the paperwork would be like, all right, well, now we need to add seven goals instead of the five goals. So you need to be working on seven goals throughout this 
school year. And if you can't come up with a seventh goal, then it's not complete, and therefore you can't, your paper can't be turned in, you know. And uh, so it got really difficult because we were just constantly on the fly being told new things, you know. Everyone's trying to figure out education reform. It's a big, big deal, and um, and no one really knows the answer. So all they do is just completely keep changing the questions every once in a while, you know. Yeah. And uh, so it got to be a little tough to, to deal with that. But I had a good time, and I really enjoyed the students, and they, they appreciated what I did. But I remember, like, really having to work hard in, in the public school just to keep up with what was what was happening. Things were kind of, like, flying over my head. So it took a lot of time to get used to it. I, I can definitely imagine that. that uh, It's one of those systems, right, where over time, a lot of the what one person interprets as like me being invested in a kid and their development and their their health uh, can some reasonably and maybe some unreasonably be interpreted by someone else as uh, yeah stepping on the the parents' toes or or discrimination and yeah messy messy system overall but uh, I'm glad that at least like you got to to like have that experience and that it was uh, clearly overall it seemed like a really good time for you. Mm-hmm. I uh, I gotta ask then, switching a little over to career stuff. Uh, I know you, you've said before in various interviews that uh, you really wanted to uh, you, you broke away from teaching once your music career uh, really started to take off, and you you couldn't devote yourself wholly to either without one or the other suffering. Uh, but I have been fascinated by over the years, a lot of your music has still really focused on uh, education and you have like three language arts albums, uh, so many songs about either, you know, like self-improvement angles or, or educational angles and some collaborative projects like the Dewey Decibel system about, you know, classic books and such. What is it, what is it about those very specific like education angles that why do those stay in your music even years uh, apart from your teaching career now well it's what i know honestly now i say go with what you know write what you know and uh it's what i know man i've been through so many educational programs and and i still feel like hip-hop is a, a link to education that is completely underrated and overlooked uh because i've seen it in real time you know um I know people who have learned the English language from hip hop songs, you know, things like that. So, uh, so I know the power of music. So I, I would always like to try to squeeze a little bit of the educational stuff that I've learned into music um, whenever I can. And uh, it, it's always going to be a part of me. I can't be the teacher rapper hero without, you know, educating yeah. in some way in my music <laughs> the uh the dewey decibel system album is a particularly interesting one that you you collaborated with uh, mc lars on uh just these like 10 or 12 songs about very specific like the the classic a lot of the classic maybe not some uh but a lot of the classic books that you would find in like any english class david Thoreau's walden uh, uh like Ode on a Grecian Urn, uh, and then you have like a couple of wild cards in there, like Watchmen, the the mm-hmm. graphic novel. Uh, why those books, and like, what is it right? What is it like to write a rap about something like 1984? I guess <laughs> uh, wasn't very easy, honestly. But um, I got to shout out MC Lars. He's been doing it a while, and so have I. So it just seemed natural for us to both come together on it. We're both English majors, and we both love literature. So. Um, it was more of us sitting down, kind of reading the books, and then coming back with notes 
and then figuring out how to turn those notes into stories that would make uh, interesting songs. You know, songs are just like writing essays, you know, beginning, middle, and end. And, you know, always having your final goal in mind, your final lesson in mind when you start. So, uh, so yeah, we were able to kind of flex a little bit of those muscles that I hadn't used in a while, you know, from being out of teaching so long uh, to work on that. And uh, the wide range of stuff from like old to new was completely intentional. We wanted to make sure that we had stuff that was considered classic literature as well as new classics like Watchmen and uh, and to go from poems like Grecian Urn to graphic novels like Watchmen to short stories. I think it was uh, it was really important to go through each style of literature and uh, and to show people that some of these things maybe they might not have known about and to show them that some of the things that they enjoy like Watchmen are considered classic literature you know so it was really fun to put that project together and um, it was something that we've been talking about for years so I'm just glad we got it done and I really enjoy it if you uh, if you had the opportunity to do to do a two-e decibel system uh, what 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 kind of books do you think you would do? Like, what are the other like classics that are really on your mind? Well, we've we made some lists. Um, we had Bell Jar, we had uh, Waiting for yeah. Godot, we had um, gosh, what else do we have on our list? We talked about uh, Catcher in the Rye. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the um, of Mice and Men? So a lot of there's a lot of classics that we haven't touched. So um, maybe those will happen on the two e decibel. I like that name, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Copyright. <laughs> <laughs> just put just put me in the liner. That's all I care. You got it. All right, and uh, yeah. Uh, so I gotta like ask too. You know, with stuff like the language arts albums, those are actually like a couple of my favorite of yours. Um, and I, there's something that at least to me, because I through my career there's been an element of me enjoying teaching people what I've learned so far. And like, it's, it's obviously not nearly as, uh, as regimented as being an actual teacher, but uh, I think educating people who are coming after me has always like really appealed to me. And uh, I, I gotta ask like with the language arts albums or even with any other uh, album you've uh, created, Sometimes it kind of it can kind of feel like you're you know processing your feelings like any music really, but you're you know processing your feelings about education and and just the day to day grind, the job of it all. Uh, was there was there anything that like since you made those albums uh, a little after you left your teaching job and went to music full time? Was there anything? That you kind of felt like, oh, I, I just learned something about myself like through this creative process that I didn't even really realize at the time. Hmm. Well, I think the language arts albums really serve as like my diary combined with like, uh, I guess, like a comic or fantasy graphic novel. So um, it's definitely right after I had left school and maybe I was a little bit bitter or upset about the way things had ended for me. but at the same time, I was positive about my, my new life and what could happen. And, um, and I didn't have a journal, you know, to document, you know, what I was going through or feeling. So I, I wrote it in the songs, but I also made sure to exaggerate it, you know, for for dramatic effect, you know. And um, I think through that process, I learned that I keep a lot of things internally and, and don't share, 
you know, and, and I, I wish that during those times I confided in someone, maybe either a teacher or I don't think I really had a mentor the last few years of my, my teaching. And I realized the importance of mentors and the importance mm-hmm. of, of having someone to share with, especially when you're in a, a high stress job position, uh, having someone to talk to and talk through things with. And um, I think that's what I realized about myself during that process more than anything. And, uh, and it was a really important revelation, you know, and uh, and I always tell people the, the importance of mentors. So I try to be a mentor when I can, as well as to seek mentors. Mentors are, are absolutely the one of the most important things in like anyone's life, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. I uh, when I started in trying to like work in games media, like while I was still finishing up college, uh, Charlie Hall from Polygon uh, actually just tweeted about him because someone did one of those like, you know, tag and name someone uh, who like had a great impact on your career thing. He was the guy who told me to actually, instead of going to E3 or going to a PAX, uh, go to the Game Developers Conference in San Mm. Francisco. And uh, that going to that con for the first, my first like big outing, uh, where you're surrounded by like really well-educated people who are all very passionate and talented. Mm-hmm. Um, just, I think set me on the right path. And, uh, like I, like I said on Twitter, it is, it is not a good work trip unless I hug Charlie Hall. So, uh, yeah. And uh, there were times too. Yeah. Where I, I, uh, even with like newer freelancers over at IGN, I like to say like, Hey, if you th- if you so you're thinking about coming to E3, okay, it's going to be really difficult, but like I'm here if you have any questions or if you need any recommendations. I can't do I can't like put I can't put you in my bedroom or anything like that. So you'd still have to pay for a hotel, but I want you to know you're not alone in this. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, mentors are just uh, there's there's too few of them, and when you do get one, uh, you need to hold on to it really tight. So you said, uh, I think, well, wrapping up a little bit here, uh, I know this is something that you've touched on a little bit too in previous interviews, but I, I definitely wanted to hear like the kind of expounded version of it. Uh, people ask you like, oh, what would it take you to come back to teaching? And you you, you seem to say a lot, uh, a, a music teaching gig, maybe. Uh, what is what would a what would a Megaran music class look like? Hmm. That's interesting. Um, I think... Because uh, because my mind goes in so many different directions, it'll be multifaceted. I think if I could split it up, there would be the music business side of things, um, as well as you know delving into music appreciation and music theory for the internet savvy nerd, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is something I think about. I haven't fully fleshed it out, so I'm, bear with me here. It's all happening in real time, but. <laughs> I think that these are things that I'm writing about now. I'm writing a book that hopefully will come out this year. And uh, it's part memoir, but also part like self-help and tips and tricks. And I love to get into the process of how and why things happen. So I want the majority of the class to be about sound and, uh, and what makes sound appealing, but also getting into the process of getting sounds to the ears of listeners and uh, and how to maintain that career without like a record label or industry person, you know, misdirecting you or taking all of your time or money. Uh, so I'm really 
big on that, the educational side of things. I think with the internet, we have more freedom than ever to create, but, uh, but without like an aim or goal, uh, it can, you can lose a lot of time. And, uh, and I feel like that was me. And so as I'm trying to make up for lost time, uh, I think I could save people a whole lot of time and energy with a, with a class on not only how to make sound, but what makes sound appealing to us. And from there, just learning on either how to build it or at least how to nurture it and create it and share it with folks. That it's so funny you mentioned all that. Like, have you ever, um, have you ever like seen or at least like heard of a, a show choir performance? Yes, I, I was in, I was in mine uh, in the Mantino Ma- uh, Magic High School show choir, and uh, prior to that, I had been in you know chorus and band from like middle school onward, just because that was like you know, the, the easy electives to take really. Uh, and despite the fact that they, they're actually taught mostly by the same people, but, uh, band class seemed to be le- a little less fulfilling. Cause you were, you know, saying, okay, here's the sheet music, learn how to, you know, play the notes on your alto saxophone and, uh, just play it well enough to the conductor's direction to, you know, put on two or three concerts for your parents every year. And show choir was this like much bigger production. Uh, and, you know, even though there, there's lots of like corny teenage stuff about it that I cringe thinking about these days, <laughs> uh, there it is like one of the few times in my life I can really think of like I was on a stage screaming my, my heart out so much so that actually I got called out a couple times by like the judges. They, they literally docked us points because like, hey, that one kid in the front uh, is like emoting way too hard, like tone him down and uh, broke my heart a little bit to hear that. But I was like, OK, I get it. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a collection of people, not just me. Uh, but I, I would be fascinated to see a, like a mega ran, uh, run kind of, uh, performance arts, uh, class or something to that effect. Cause I think that that's, that's where I really learned what the, the, why does this music resonate with me? Why am I crying on this stage mm-hmm. along with like 30 of my classmates kind of things? I don't, I don't know if you've ever thought about something like that. Yeah, I have. That's awesome. Megaran, you mentioned you got the book and you're hoping to put it out, uh, this year. Uh, but what else is on the future? I know we, before the show, we discussed, uh, you'll be going to the game developers conference here in San Francisco. Uh, what do you, what are you doing there? If I may ask. Oh, I will be DJing a few pre and post parties uh, during oh, the week. Yeah. Uh, I've just gotten into DJing in the last uh, couple years. So um, I will be breaking out the turntables and curating the vibes, as they say, uh, for a couple of great parties. There's one at the end of GDC called Game Over. And there's mm-hmm. another one. Uh, one is at Temple Nightclub and one is at Harlot Nightclub. Uh, so yeah, if you guys want to come out and have a good time, take a break from talking video games and relax a little bit, um, those would be the places to do it. I'll be at PAX East as well. So just I'm cutting down on touring, but more so doing spot dates while I work on these next projects. I'm working on two albums at once, finishing up an album with uh, Young RJ of Slum Village which will be called Two Hands Up. Much more of a... Um, I listened to that uh, that single, I think you posted, yeah. Oh, thanks. I hope you dig it. It's more like, I'd say, the language art style of music. 
Uh, so less like video game sampling, oh, yeah. but more like storytelling and then lessons learned type of music. And it's it's really great. It's some of my best stuff, I think. And then uh, right after that is the Black Material remake, which I've been working on for the better part of a year. And I'm really excited to bring to you. I got probably two more songs to record. And we're going to try to have that out a few weeks before the release of the Final Fantasy VII remake. Hey, and that'll actually come as a whole project and not a not a episode one. So yeah, I thought about that. I was like, dude, I wonder if people would would get upset if I did that. Like, let me just give you three songs now, and then who knows when you get the rest, you know? But maybe it could get people excited for it, or maybe it would just completely upset people. So I better not take a chance. Well, man, I will be sure to uh, try to squirrel my way into some of those DJ parties and say hello to you. Mm -hmm. And uh, it has been an absolute blast to talk to you and learn a little bit more about uh, what seems to have been such a core part of your background. I... uh, I, I it, suffice it to say, uh, my favorite hip hop artist in the world, you know, to go full fanboy, you, Nujabes, mm. uh, and like Shingo too. Wow. And uh, it's been an absolute honor to chat with you, man. Wow, that's some elite company. So thank you for that. Oh, yeah. And folks, you can find a new episode of the 1099 here every week on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and anywhere else you get your regular podcast. We are in the works with uh, getting the Kentucky Route Zero developers on the show and a couple other fun ones in the future here. Uh, Cross your fingers, we might get the Tim Tim team, which say that a couple times fast. Uh, And yeah. And folks, I hope you have a great week. Have a great uh, President's Day week and take care of yourself. (laughs) 